Welcome to The Looking Glass, a podcast exploring the relationship between people and their creativity. I'm Neil Cowley, and this week I'm talking to comedian and actor Alex Lowe. During an illustrious career, Alex has taken on a multitude of different roles in TV and film, but he is probably best known by his followers as the brilliant Barry from Watford. Regular contributors to radio and TV, appearing on Steve Wright's BBC Radio 2 slot and Ian Lee's groundbreaking shows on LBC. Alex is also the man behind the inspired comic invention, clairvoyant and medium Clinton Baptiste, first seen on Peter Kay's Phoenix Nights. Alex was about to embark on a 60-plus date tour with Clinton Baptiste when the lockdown hit. We catch up with him in May 2020 and see how he's coping with the temporary postponement of those dates. interviewed your daughter the other day georgia I'm really delighted and i i thank you neil for being so she came back and said what a lovely chap there's always you know with your daughter being sent to these strange <laughs> studios you think oh my god who's she meeting you know and she's she's yeah. been doing this sort of singing since she was you know 18 19 mm. and you think oh god you don't want it to be with a load of uh, weirdos so thank you neil it's nice to uh, see a <laughs> responsible right. adult uh, in charge <laughs> oh thanks yeah. well I'm, I'm sure she told you that um i you know i asked her her background yeah and and uh, and she told me about you and uh, as she described it i banged the desk in delight <laughs> Oh, because I, I, I am an I'm a super fan of yours. Oh, I great. Really, Thank I'm you. Not, I'm not just blowing smoke up your back. Oh, I really, that's I, lovely. No, I genuinely mean it. Um, for for various reasons, actually. Yeah. Um, I what was my first? first I think I, I am one of those people who just happened upon Barry from Watford. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, the the because I yeah originated. I I was a big fan of the Ian Lee radio show. Yes, yes. I love the way he ran radio. I love the way it was so daring, it seemed to me, in the middle of the day to just throw open the mic and all oh, these gosh, various yeah. bits and pieces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and um, when I, I happened upon your, what seemed to me to be uh, the debut of it, I'm sure it wasn't, but it oh. appeared to be the debut when you just rang up and it, and it seemed to me that Ian Lee didn't, Hadn't clocked on as to who you were. <laughs> Is that true? Well, it was it wasn't about the slugs, was it? The slugs. Yeah, that was the very first one. It was and, um, because they. Uh, there's a lot of talk about how to get rid of slugs, <laughs> and I've tried beer. I tried salt. There's only one thing. It's my wife's perfume. One whiff of my wife's Charlie, and they are curling up. Died, but um, the, re- the reason was oh, um, I used to do a show on XFM. I had a show for like two years on Sunday mornings on XFM, right. and I knew him because I used to do the eleven o'clock show at the end of the nineties. Yeah, and yeah. Um, he phoned up one day at, with his one voice, which is Mike from Camden, which right. quite honestly just sounds like Ian. Might as well be Ian from Muswell Hill. <laughs> right. And I recognised him and he was doing kind of silly things. So I thought, you know, when when he got his own radio show, I thought, oh God, it's perfect for me to come back and sort of try and trick him. And this was a character I wanted to do uh, based on my Cockney uh, relatives from South East London who yeah. 
you know, during the war, moved to northwest London. Uh, to Almost the same as me. Well, exactly. Almost the same as me. Right. Well, I, I, yeah. My family from Walthamstow, and they moved to Hayes to the countryside that, to get away from the bombs. That is exactly right. So my mm. lot, and there must have been a move to do that in the war, just to get people out. Mm. And all these kind of cheerful Cockney chumpies moved to northwest London. Mm. Uh, and then, you know, uh, anyway, so that's sort of what Barry was based on. And um, I always feel quite sad that those sort of old-style Cockneys uh, seem to be disappearing, you know, and yep. the way they say certain words and they put the emphasis on slightly the wrong bit of a word. Or, totally. Uh, and, I, and, I, and, that, and, in fact, old people like Barry from Watford, um, they seem to disappear as well. I mean, when I was growing up, probably the same as you, Neil, uh, yep. old, old people were properly old. Yeah. They were properly like old and, and with bad teeth and wore old-fashioned clothes. Whereas now, you know, from behind, you think, "Oh, there's a nice teenage." Oh, Jesus Christ! When they talk, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I mean, I, I had my auntie Pole. She was born in 1895, mm. and she was one of two sisters, Pole and Dole. And her name wasn't even Pole; <laughs> it was Mary. But she was Auntie Pole. Yeah, and she, and, and she she carried two bags, and she used to waddle along. You know, these hugely heavy bags. She used yeah. to bring the sh- shopping every week. Get off the two seven four bus, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Waddle, al- waddle along the back lane. You know, <laughs> treading treading some dog shit, and then then tread yeah. it up the stairs. And and her and my mum would just argue over the kitchen sink about you know her slagging off one set of relatives against yeah. the other. Yeah. Um, but she didn't she didn't have any um electricity in her home she refused it so really? she had a wireless and then her fridge was just to stick her food on the balcony where the squirrels would help oh, themselves God, God, um, yeah. but she had all that I, I found a tape of her recently talking in that same yeah. way but yeah. that's what i that's what blew my mind when i first heard barry because i i don't think it's just as simple and as uh, for want of a better phrase one dimensional as a funny character on radio i think it's the way that you delivered it with such a plomb yeah. to the point where you your all your responses um were so in character <laughs> like you were com- you were completely sort of befuddled by anything young and modern and reacted in that way and that's that's kind of why I yeah. I I got to be honest I listened again and again and again <laughs> and I could I could quote the scripts I've sat in hotel rooms on the other side of the globe you know when <laughs> when I've been on my own, and I've listened in depth Oh lovely um so much so that I could kind of do a little mini thesis oh on some God. of those some of those those conversations yeah, yeah. and th- there's there's one uh, and I think this and because I find it quite interesting that I, I this really reminded me of the way was it was it was it the character Sven that Peter Cook that's right called, the Norwegian called, fisherman yeah Norwegian fisherman the lonely Norwegian fisherman yeah, and he yeah. used to ring into LBC that's right Clive Ball yeah and uh, that's it and 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 no one knew for a long time no. and it, and when I heard you it had it it reminded me of that but I wondered I I guess I have a couple of questions hmm. there's one where you ring from an organic farm yes well we were there we Georgia was. Uh, little tiny thing and Aidan was like two years old or something and we were in Ottery St Mary in Devon and uh, we were at an organic farm and I'd just started doing these phone calls to Ian I was loving it 
And uh, I think all the stuff I was repeating about, you know, it's all very well saying, oh, aren't these animals cared for so well? You know, the fact is we were eating them by the evening. Yeah. The kids stroking them in the morning and then ended up on our plate in the evening. Yeah. And it just seemed to be, to me, to be, you know, sort of ironic that that's what was happening. And I, and these are probably all things that I'd I'd said to my wife, you know, during the day. And I thought, oh, I'll repeat those in the evening. That was (laughs) the second one I did, actually. Oh, was it? Organic farm, yeah. Yeah, because he was like thrilled to hear from you when he, oh, Barry. He says Barry from Watford, <laughs> and you're Barry in Devon, you know, and that's and, right. And you and you say, oh, "No, I'm, I'm." It is. It's Barry from Watford, but <laughs> I, I think that's what I, what I found. Um, so it it made the character so believable is that there were just sort of slips of the tongue almost that yeah. you use that yeah. had to be real. Like for instance, you said we saw this. Um, like, I don't know, was it a lamb or something yeah. that morning? And it was called Gordon or Gorgor or something. Yeah. And you and you you trip over the word. And I just thought, there's no way that's scripted. There's no way that's thought through. You've done that this morning. I think, well, no, actually, yeah, there wasn't. I did make up Gordon or Gorgor, but I thought that really? the detail was quite nice. That, oh, that's what they called it, you know. And it's got a lovely sort of pet name to make. And it just points the joke up even more that it had a lovely, sweet, cute yeah. name. And then, and then, and then you saw the chicken with a kink in its wing. Pink, yeah, pink, <laughs> pink. Yeah, I do like the way you you cut cut. You get the guttural. Well, I, that's it. Is, I mean, that is the thing, you know, that where the esophagus is slightly falling down at the back. <laughs> so you get a lovely, lovely bit of carrot, 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 <laughs> bit of carrot. Love a bit of carrot. It's it's astonishing. I've wanted for so long to see you do that without the without the prosthetics on, you know. Yeah. And actually, there's a, there's a there's a pop shield in the way. I can't quite see your face. Well, so, it's so it's a question of pushing your jaw forwards and very much relaxing the back of the throat, so and then also running out of breath because you don't have any lung capacity. Uh, it's, uh, oh, it's I really have. I, I genuinely remember people doing those little nuances that you've studied yeah. seemingly oh, so well. Good. That's good. Well, I miss all those lot, you know. And when you say of, those lot, well, you know, was sort of like my my nan from Bermondsey, uh, yeah. who, you know, she ran South Harrow Market Fish Stall for something like forty, fifty years. Yeah. Uh, tough, tough. Mm tough yeah. cockney people and uh you know my granddad he had a, a shop in bermondsey and then in south harrow and um yeah. you know just um mm. i really like the sort of no nonsense you know it's so it's so kind of well you know in this very sanitized snowflakey sort of world yeah. and, the, and the middle class world that luckily yeah. i'm in nowadays you know <laughs> that's right well i've yes i've made the same journey really whether i like it or not no just recently i've i've sort of been thinking it's funny reminiscing about all those people you know being a sort of growing up in northwest london and it's all sort of um pushy middle class parents and house prices and what the mm. local schools like and we're all going to go to university mm. and in the 80s as you know, you're considerably younger than me, but you know there was this kind of uh, embarrassment about being middle class. You had to go around. I don't know what it was. It was to do with yeah. sort of militant and Billy Bragg, and you know, yeah. constantly apologising. Well, I've only now, in just in recent years, and and having met lots of sort of upper middle class people at my time at the BBC, yeah. and my wife has met them. She was at Law College in Chester. I've suddenly decided, you know what? I'm lower middle class. I mean, I don't yeah. sound like it. My vowels are all quite nice. That's because I'm an actor. But mm. I, I'm a bit tired of apologising because, 
you know, I didn't go to a fee-paying school and I don't live, you know, in the lap of luxury. I live in, you know, quite a sort of humble area of um, Watford. Well, I think there's a huge amount of pride attached to it. And, and, I, and I, it's interesting, actually, that I know, I know very little about your background. I'm, I'm learning about it now. Yeah. But, but how, I mean, it's a, it's a rather sort of mundane question, really, mm. but how did you end up in this field? Well, you know, I, I, my parents, you know, I, I was born, moved into South Harrow. Mm. Uh, and oh, you really are close to Hayes, aren't you, really? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And um, I bet I can almost guarantee my lot knew your lot in some <laughs> shape or form. Yeah. But, um, and, uh, we, you know, my parents managed to move to Pinner, which was clearly sort of up and yeah. coming. And No, it was. Uh, yeah, Pinner. So I grew mm. up in Pinner and uh, I went to Pinnerwood School and Noah Hill High School and Harrowwild Sixth Form College, where mm. other luminaries from Harrowwild Sixth Form College, some brilliant people. Um, Mark Ramprakash was there. Oh. Um, we had Shami Chakrabarti, who was a friend wow. of mine. Yeah, she used to come mm. over and play our piano. But there was really? it was like a mini sort of university but anyway getting away from that when I was about 11 I wanted to I always wanted to be an actor and I think my dad's side of the family he's a sax player uh, and he was sort of semi-professional you know he would he had a job as a tea Mm. broker tea test tea tasting during the day and he'd play you know, in the fifties, he was in dance bands and what have you, and he played just in like my bands. dad. This is, this is bizarre. My God, really? Yeah. Well, yeah. I've got a funny story. My about- dad, my dad, my dad was Max Miller's musical director. Do you remember Max Miller? My God, really? The cheeky chap. Yeah, of course. Well, yeah, yes. Well, yeah, I've, got story, I've got a story for you in a minute. Um, okay. So anyway, my dad's lot, these kind of Cockney lot, uh, were. Uh, you know, sort of into this performing thing. And, mm. you know, there's a lot of store put by comedy and cabaret and playing music and live stuff. And, you know, mm. they used to go on holiday to the holiday camps where there'd be lots of entertainment and all that sort of working yeah. class stuff, which is great. And my dad, we, we went to holiday camps as well. But um, I asked my parents whether I could go to a place in Pinner called the Studio School, which was a very serious, very sort of austere uh, drama training from the age of 11 right. to about 18. Yeah. And it was, you know, when you're that age, you're like a sponge. You don't know that you're learning how to be an actor. Yeah, you know, totally. it's sort of, you just take these things on. It was a lot of fun and we'd be performing. We'd be doing Guildhall drama exams and mm-hmm. we'd be improvising. And um, I did it for many, many years. And during that time, I said to my parents, I'd love to do some professional work. And they were pretty resistant to it, I have to say. They, they, they were supportive and they would turn up as my chaperones, but mm. there was always this terror that I was not doing any schoolwork. Mm. And I did a lot of stuff. You know, I did um, Another Country, the play that was in the West End when I was 14, and right. Mansfield Park for the BBC, uh, playing wow. young Edmund Bertram. I did all this stuff as a, as a young, you know, a, a child and a teenager. Mm. And then um, having done all this drama for many many years at this this very serious drama school i did my mickey mouse degree at leicester polytechnic in performing (laughs) arts which was dreadful i mean it was so badly uh funded there was no there were no facilities Mm -hmm. we were very keen to sort of use it to the best of our you know to absolutely ring it for everything it was worth Mm. and there was no sort of showcase at the end of it and there are three Mm. BAFTA winners in my year from Leicester Polytechnic it's quite extraordinary (laughs) wow and um we none of them are me unfortunately but um (laughs) you know so so um I think in many ways that gave me a self-sufficiency that when I left 
my degree, I was yes. never under any illusions that it was going to be graft. You know, we had no agents coming to see us. We'd had to yeah. fight to do our own plays at the college. We didn't have, even have a proper theatre there, you know. Yeah. Uh, and so um, I've always been very sort of self-sufficient and, you know, just got stuck in because the, the prospect of, particularly at my age now, 52, mm. sitting around waiting for my agent to ring, I mean, it's just... It's a waste of a life, you know. You've got well, to get I, on. I, well I, so I'm I'm seeing very vividly now how you end up kind of creating these characters yeah. that you live in, in a sense, yeah. being self sufficient. So really, that's a really interesting phrase. I mean, I I, I, I had a sort of similarish thing. I, I was I, I went to the um, Royal Academy of Music as a junior exhibitioner, so that meant just on Saturdays right. until I was sixteen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then I rebelled very badly, and and I was classically trained, you know. Yeah. And then I, I, but with this voice, I I, I had a I had a, a mentor called Mister Stevenson, who was the borough advisor in Hillingdon, right. And he 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 sort of he nurtured me for this position yeah. and it reminded me of when i read about albert finney because i think albert finney was was regarded as one of the last working class yes. rada kind of right. you know uh, set yes um and and i although i didn't i i got out of there i mean i didn't i had a place at leeds college of music didn't bother going you know right. so i went to the the school of hard knocks and everything else you know yeah. um and had i was gigging but it gave me this um it gave me this slightly detached uh, position, which I think I've maintained yeah. through fair means or, or foul. Yeah. Um, so when you say self-sufficiency, yes. and, and then you're also relating, you're talking back to being what you feel is lower middle class from yes. that certain set. Yes. Uh, and there are, another, there's, you know, another set that are the B, as you say, yeah. you've, you've caught, you um, yeah. come across them at the BBC yeah. who seem to be, not in control of things. I don't want to be paranoid, but they do seem to have a certain sort of clique. Um, and to live outside that does require an, an immense uh, level of self-sufficiency. And also it really demands that you sharpen your talents, I think, Neil, which I think I see in what you do. I, I, do you know what? I think we come from a very similar mould, the, the both of us, both <laughs> mm. kind of northwest London, suburban, little bit of a hint growing up of what London was just on the yeah. doorstep. Uh, very quickly, I must say something which really put it into sharp focus for me was mm. um i did a play uh in the west end in 2014 which was uh fatal attraction right. uh and this i'll try not to mention any names i'm not uh, this is not meant to be an assassination <laughs> but there's an assistant director there and he came along and he the the, the lead actress was late for rehearsal she said oh, i'm terribly sorry i've been to my kid's school yeah. and um Joanna Lumley was there talking about the Garden Bridge. Remember Boris's Garden Bridge? Oh yes, they wanted yes. Have. And she was right. saying, she was saying, oh, you know, it's it's amazing because she comes along and the pet, the kids go home and say to their mum, oh, we had Joanna Lumley talking about this bridge, and they say, wonderful, we'd love to invest. And yeah. I kind of thought, well. I know lots of kids who would love her to come to their school, <laughs> but she won't because they don't have the money. And then yeah. this assistant director says something about this particular school. It so happened that his his dad taught there. He was like the head of English and drama. Mm. And he was saying, oh, yeah, he's very busy at the moment. The The kids there have got their end-of-term show at St. James's Theatre in the West End. Mm. And I was thinking, from the age of 14 to, what was I, 
46, wherever I was, 48. (laughs) I had been trying to get into the West End. But these people, as a matter of course, do it (laughs) at the end of their school term. And I thought, you know, I've just heard it all now. You know, it's it's just absolute. And and whether whether you want to be an actor or not, if you've done that and you've been in a Mm. West End theatre at your end of term bloody panto or whatever it is, (laughs) that gives you a real, a real confidence you've seen these things you've experienced it you've done it you're not like i probably was in the suburbs looking in over the Mm. wall thinking god that looks big and scary and i don't know those people and they're clearly the movies and shakers which is what i had a sort of feeling of at the time so it does make you then marvel i suppose at oneself then when you when you look and think how am i still here how am i still doing this i i I get a sense of that myself i i I, my my aim was always to do this until i dropped down dead that was always my aim i decided that quite early on that i loved it so much and i had to love what i do to that nth degree and still face those kind of obstacles i guess how were your parents about it Oh well, this is it. I mean, my, well, my I, I had an absent father. He was he was married elsewhere, and yeah. I, I was I was the little musician secret that came out on tour, sort of thing. So my oh right, my, my dad was, was a you know a jobbing musician, and as I say, he was Max Miller's musical yeah, director, yeah. and um, he used to he used to he wrote wrote a tune called My Little Budgie for Bruce Forsyth, oh, which, my was, God, really? which they sang on. Have I got news for you recently? It was most bizarre. Um, wow. And uh, so he and he had his life and his four kids, and then he met my mum. He had a he had a stint at the air, at the airport playing at to the Skyway Hotel right, uh, in right. the early seventies. And wow. he met my mum, yeah. and she was twenty three years younger. And he had a thing with her for a couple of years, and then my mum decided that she was quite happy having the kid, yeah. uh, and didn't need him around. So she just brought me up on her own. And mum's it was mum's. Uh, driving ambition i think to make sure that i got into music there's always been history like you say you know there is that tradition i think my grandmother and grandfather used to tour around the east end one singing one playing piano and there was dad's side ironically from leicester funnily enough and um so mum was all uh, kind of drilled me through a practice every day as a kid um when i didn't want to i just wanted to go out and play and so she would she would make me just uh, practice and practice arguments every single day until age 14 i joined a blues brothers covers band playing yeah. soul music and i just went oh this is all right yeah, you know and yeah. i was going to gigs and things were really really loud wow. um and so um th- that then i i was able to sort of stamp my own identity on it but there was there was always um encouragement um, i mean i think there was always encouragement from my mum certainly well you know that that is something i have really wrestled with i have a slight problem and georgia my daughter will tell you and my wife i i not so much from my dad but my mum it has no real interest in the arts. It doesn't interest one <laughs> tiny Is she bit. still around? Yes. And um, I think she thinks it's all a load of nonsense, what I do, oh. really. You know, which I've had a little bit of a struggle with over the years. I'm not, you know, look, I I'm not curling up in a fetal ball, but it, <laughs> w- what it means is that I have spent my entire career looking over my shoulder thinking any minute now I will have to stop doing this and knuckle down. And, wow. and it's it, that is 
a little bit of a problem and it means so you're still looking for a proper job well i am and i it, it's quite nice at 52 to suddenly realize no one is going to employ you to do anything else now that is it and i yeah. kind of quite like that i just don't I, you know i can't do anything else and right. whether i wanted to or not you know so i i've always struggled with that really you know if she would you know over the years phone up at quarter to three on a tuesday afternoon and say what are you doing I'd be like, my God, what am I doing? What am I doing? You're right. What am I doing? You know, and um, I've always struggled with that, that, you know, sort of uh, justifying this. You know, I mean, one of my most hated things, you know, I do a double act with Angelos Epithemia, Barry and Angelos. You know, Mm. occasionally we're doing a show or I'm doing my show as Clinton Baptiste, which is this character I played on Phoenix Nights, which I've been touring. You know, if I have to go to a joke shop and – the, you know, it requires me finding something that looks a bit like a knob and balls. You yeah. know, uh, I, I, I very often think to myself, what are you doing? There are people of your age doing triple heart bypass surgery <laughs> and you've just got in looking for something that looks a bit like a pair of tits. You know, it's so <laughs> pathetic. Yeah. And so I do struggle with it a little bit. and um, it, it, it does rub up against age a little bit, doesn't it? I mean, that's a new battle I'm discovering, ah, you know, yes. you know. I, I'm 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 a musician and, and yeah. I, I don't have that um, maternal figure over my shoulder, but I but comparison is always there. I was speaking to Georgia about social yes. media and the perils of that. Ah, yes, um, but there is always that that com- comparison. Yeah, I think. yeah, I do. I I mean, I would like to. It's really nice speaking to you, Neil. Honestly, because. <laughs> This is the sort of stuff I should be speaking to someone about. Constant <laughs> guilt about the whole thing. And I know, you know, all my contemporaries, I don't know anyone who suffers from this, you know. Um, who, who doesn't? Or who no, does who, I don't know anyone who, who suffers from this kind of sense of, my God, what am I doing? Um, particularly someone like me who actually, I've always got something to do. But I feel tremendous guilt if I'm sitting around not doing anything. And the lockdown has been terrible for me. Well, I, I this, just got to this, work the whole time. It's terrible. This is well. That's just that you've just hit um, exactly where I was sort of coming in yeah. to this. I mean, I, I was uh, the background to this this conversation is that I had a self imposed um, sabbatical from the piano, mm. but the, the the one thing that that, that has been my voice um, from day one, and my tool and my uh, everything from day one. Um, I, I decided to immerse myself in an, in other genres of music, yeah. which w- didn't require the piano first and foremost. Um, and, um, I I went away from it. It got to the point where I get, went back and played, and my 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 hands hurt. Right. Yeah. Um. And I was really trying to discover how much I relied on that instrument and how much it, part of my life it was. Yes. And I have got a love hate relationship with it. Mm. I I hate it because my childhood was kind of just a. a, a uh, just a, a permanent battle over practice. Yeah. I love it because it's enabled me to go everywhere and and anywhere yes. and be free and never have a boss. Oh, yeah. Um, and and eventually, I came. I ended up in Berlin and I came back to it. Uh, I sat down at a piano, having wrestled for about a year trying to produce something without the aid of a piano. I sat down at a piano and pretty much recorded. I think it was about half an album in half a day. It was that. There was that much stored up. Wow. Um, yeah. And and I because of this lockdown yeah. and because it was something that actually Georgia threw away the other day and I and I thought of you and I pictured yeah. you doing it the pair of you going for a walk and and go and you know to try and give your wife a rest yes. which is something that happens in my house you know <laughs> get out just get out yeah yeah, yeah. um 
because your whole meaning and your whole makeup is based on how well you're doing and how busy you yes, are. Yes. And, and you just, you just mentioned it then. So how, I mean, you know, the, the question is, how has this lockdown affected you? Well, I was doing my show, which was Clinton Baptiste. It's a character I played on Phoenix Nights. Yeah, I was I touring it. around the country. I had sold 76% of my tickets over six months, like 90 shows. And for once in my life, in this ludicrous career, I was making oh, a lot of money. And oh, it no. stopped dead. <gasps> and uh, we do have these dates uh, postponed now till October. Whether that happens, I don't know. I was really pessimistic about that. But increasingly, I think, God, people just seem to be carrying on now, you know, so maybe by October, I can do the remaining gigs. But, mm. you know, it was honestly, Neil, it was like a dream come true. I was doing shows where people had come to see me up and down the country. I was in Bolton, doing a character from Bolton, Clinton. Yeah. I've never been to That's Bolton. Right. You know where I'm from? I'm from bloody Pinner. Yeah, I've been yeah. to Bolton twice. I had a mate who lived there. And you're at these places in Liverpool and you're up in the <laughs> you're north. Right. Yeah, you're doing all that stuff. And they were they loved it. You know, it's like yeah. six hundred and eighty seats sold oh. at uh Bolton Albert Hall where Peter Kay, you know, was selling it. And it was yeah. like it was going so well, and I thought to myself, you know, the worst that can happen is I will lose my voice, which I've had to happen on stage before, or there'll be some catastrophe at home and I'll just have to go home. I, I did not foresee a worldwide pandemic <laughs> stopping the whole thing. <laughs> and I, I and so at the start, it, I came back and, and you might remember, remember everyone was talking about three weeks at the start. It's going to be three yeah. weeks. I thought, oh, well, three weeks. I can, might, might be quite mm-hmm. nice, have a little break. Came back mm-hmm. and I just hit the ground running, started doing Zoom shows. We were selling tickets, doing stuff on Zoom. Mm. Uh, and I was doing Clinton. I did Barry from Watford. I got stuck in. I'm, I'm supposed to be writing a, a Clinton Baptiste annual for the shops. I got on with that. And then after three weeks, when it got delayed again, I just absolutely hit the wall thinking, of all the luck in the world, I, I now can't get on the stage. I mean, that's the one thing I love. So I found it very, very difficult and it's driven everyone mad. Luckily, Georgia and I go out for a walk and we can talk showbiz. And I said to her yesterday, I, one of these days I will talk to you about something other than our careers and you know it'd be nice if we just <laughs> talked about something else yeah. but um we're sort of very it is lovely similar. you've got it, it, it is lovely you've got that though i mean I, oh. I i don't i don't have any i mean my children aren't old enough yet right, to get into right, that field right. so I, I i do feel i'm i, I go dark and insular yeah um, yeah will you I mean, speak I, to me neil i'd be more than happy to talk to you about it if you ever want to maybe phone we should up. make this a weekly thing definitely think, you know? definitely yeah, I, mean, I mean i you know to be to be brutally frank i've i've gone dark i mean you know really real what well, depression you know, not um i i've never i've i've never been able to say whether i'm depressed or not i know i know i go to extremes but i think yeah. that's the nature of the job yeah. um and i get very lost in into what is possible and what is not and 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 the, and the other mistake terrible mistake i make it sounds a bit like you at the yeah. beginning of the inverted commas three weeks the other mistake i make is i always i begin looking ext- on the on the positive side yes. positive side yes. in an extreme way this will be right there's ways you know yeah, this yeah. is what we do in this business yeah. we're creative give us a problem we'll we'll yeah. solve it yeah we'll find ways and then 
And so, so as people are shouting at me, it's going to be four months. I go, don't be ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a creative. I've yeah. been in, I've had my back to the wall before. Yes. Yes. I'm going to sort this out. Yeah. And I sort of try and take control of everything. And then two months later, I'm kind of sitting there going, what, who, who was I kidding? You know, what an arsehole. You know, I, I, I lie to myself. Yeah. I lie to everyone else. And, and on top of that, I can't remember what it is I do anymore. Right, um, right, right. I, I mean, are you feeling, are you, are you feeling any rust from this? I'm, I think when I get back on stage, I will. Yeah, because I do suffer a lot from nerves doing mm. live stand-up comedy, which is sort of what I do. It's character stand-up, pretty much. Mm. Um, I get very, very nervous, terrified, and I've, d- I've done it up and down the country quite often thought, why am I doing this? And once again, it's to prove something. You know, it's a sort of, yeah. well, you wanted to do this for a living, bloody well, get on and do it, you know. Mm. Um so I, I honestly, I'm sure when I get back to doing this tour and the, the audience are coming in and, you know, someone's saying, you know, five minutes before the show starts, I will be bricking it, you know. You see, you see, I'm, I'm actually, I'm just thinking as you're saying this, I'm astonished um, to hear you say that. I shouldn't be. Everyone gets nervous yeah. and everyone deals it with in different ways. But when I hear you ring up a radio show and uh, improv. yeah. Uh, something, I, something's definitely. I don't know if it's your mum, but someone, something's definitely driving you to prove something, isn't it? it I must think be. so. Yeah. Um. But, but you know, if you can't see the whites of the eyes, that's a lot easier. When you see a sea of faces and folded arms going, "Look, I've paid. Come on, make me laugh." That, <laughs> right. that I feel that pressure a lot. But I sometimes feel right. I'm a bit of a jack of all trades, master of none, because I do stand up and I write for people, and I'm a straight actor, and. You know, you I, are. I mean, I've also got bloody card ranges in the shops as well. I've got, I don't leave any heard about this. Yeah, I've got four card ranges in the shops, which, which, uh, you know, keep the wall from the door if there's nothing else happening. Alex, I, I, I can't tell you how familiar this is because my, 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 um, what's the word? You know, I suppose the banner I should put above my head, yes. which I'm always preaching to, to people is yes. you need a selection of hats to wear. I think so. Yeah. Now, now I, I, I not. I'm not pleased about that. I want to be the thorough. I want to be Shakespeare. I want to be Mozart. I want to be all these uh, thoroughbred yeah. images that we have of people. But in in order to survive, I've I've worn a lot of hats yes. more than I'm probably you know willing to, yeah. to to expand on because I'm a I've been a session musician. Yes, I've been a, you know I've written for a, an advert here and there. Yeah. I've written yeah. for, for film. I've I've performed live. I've been in other people's bands. Sure. I've been a pub gigging musician. Yeah. I've done all the these things yes, that's right and and I, and I think i'm here because of that uh, absolutely it, yeah and it may be connected to the fact that i didn't have those the standard links yes. to just really pin myself to something or you know as i as i there's this bizarre scene called the psychedelic trance scene which i found myself immersed yeah. in in the late 20s which is full of people who have trust funds yeah and and they they were able to go from oh, one mate. party to the next and 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 think about their art for 10 years and produce now, something we, once every 15. We are out of the same bloody pod. That is exactly the same. <laughs> and we sound like we're from the same sort of class. And I, and yeah. uh, it's, it's really nice to hear because, I mean, I think the class system is alive and kicking in this country hugely, yes. hugely. And, um, you know, it was often a mystery to me why I was not, you know, I, I've often thought I'm having the longest apprenticeship anyone's had. But when you said <laughs> not being able to sort of pin your particular talent to one area – 
That's mm. something I've always thought as well. You know, I was yeah. a classical actor. I was with Kenneth Branagh's Renaissance Theatre Company. You know, I was Amazing. doing that stuff. And I remember in the early days sitting in, in green rooms with uh, Sir John Gielgud and Judy Dench and we were recording Shakespeare and all that. And then at the other extreme, I'm going doing social clubs, you know, stand up there. I've, I don't leave any stone unturned. But what I was going to say about this, if, if there's anyone listening who is, you know, an aspiring anything in the arts when i think that my only advice about that is when people say it's really good to have a second string or you know lots of strings to your bow that's fine but if you can make you know really the best thing is if they are in some way tangential is that the word to your craft Oh, oh no! I, I entirely agree with you. I was—I would never suggest that no. anyone dilutes their art. Their art—it no. has to be within that field. Yeah. I agree. I mean, with my 100%. my mum for a long time was saying, "Why don't you become a cabbie?" And I thought, "Yeah, that's oh, a good idea." Jesus. But actually, you know what would happen? You just end up doing that, and then gradually you'd yeah. be doing that every single day. You'd be less hungry because you'd earn some money, and you'd go, "Oh, I wanted to be an actor at one time." But then, but then, don't you think you need all that downtime to to really ponder your own navel in order to draw that stuff out? I do think that the sitting around and, and worrying like. The, you know yourself yeah go um, on what, at nights yeah is it, it, is part of the you know it's part of the process you need to go through all that in order to yes, fuel the other half. i think it does sort of fuel it but um it would be good if i was spending that time thinking creatively instead. rather than panicking yeah but it is really you know yeah. honestly it's so nice to hear you say because you you know sometimes i think oh god this glass ceiling i imagine the whole time is just my own construct but hearing someone of a very similar background to mine saying all these things that i'm saying is it's it sort of confirms a lot of what i've always thought you know. Although I, I'm afraid I have to, you know, uh, but what I'm doing is I'm saying the same things to myself. I'm saying there's a glass ceiling and it's yeah. within me. So I'm, I'm going through the same self-imposed torment. You're saying and the glass ceiling is self... Is- I, I, you know, I, I, or rather... I think you said you said I worry that I just I can't break through this thing, you know, and 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 shining the light on yourself as it must be something I'm doing wrong. Well, no, I, I wondered whether the glass scene, yeah, it's just something I've invented, and it's just an excuse for me not being good enough or whatever. But, yeah, I mean, but 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 to to shine the light on you for a second. Uh, which is again what I find fascinating and such a contrast to what you're saying to me. Yeah, and there's it's such a contrast between what I what you're telling me and what I see in you yeah. to shine the light on you. And I genuinely mean this. I, I, I consider myself a great, um, you know, I'm not arrogant about many things, but I consider myself someone who really does see talent and, th- and a thoroughbred, um, thoroughbred talent for entertainment or just, yeah. just character. I consider myself to be one of those people. I, 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 I and I really see it in you. Oh, and, no, I do. No, I, I genuinely mean it. But, and I say that because that's an interesting way of almost shining the mirror back on myself. Because I, whenever you do something, mm. I see something that is so, like I say, it's, it's so thoroughbred. So, oh, that's so great. Well, I really mean it. And 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 you, you may not believe me, but I've been a little bit frustrated on your behalf before yes, now. Yes. Yeah. Oh well, that. I think it's possibly because I've spread myself so thin. You know, it's to do with this thing about I've just got to keep working, keep working, you know. And, for example, I would very often go and read people's scripts at the BBC, you know. We're Mm. having a table read. Would you read the narration? I mean, I did that for Miranda Hart when she was doing Miranda. And these sort of things, I've always thought, you know, let's get in there. And 
occasionally that's not the right thing to do. It's to sort of set yourself out and don't just be there everyone's whim. Do you feel that's because you're fiercely independent and therefore, you know, you don't have a big team around you with, with you know, boxing gloves and knuckle dusters sort of kind of going, no, Alex will not do this. I think there has been a bit of that. I don't, I, uh, not, not recently, but in the past, I've had terrible representation who just <laughs> didn't get what I was about at all. But I was kind of lower middle class suburban bloke, a catch-all. I'm not particularly ugly. I'm not particularly handsome. <laughs> I'm just a nice bloke from the suburbs. And it's difficult <laughs> for people to go, that's that's your thing. You know yeah. what I mean? I just mm. I, I I've, you know, by the same token, I've I've this is all I've done in the last 30 years and mm. brought a family up and all that. But it would be nice to be I'm always hearing, I mean, you saying that it's a bit of a dagger to the heart because the amount of people who say to me, oh. why did it not happen for you or something? But, and I but, think, oh I, God. <laughs> well, no, uh, no, but I, th- th- I'm, I'm, a, I'm aware how damaging that phrase could be. And I don't mean it that way. I've thought long and hard about this. I don't mean, you know, what could have been. I don't right. mean that. I, I, I genuinely mean that when I look at your work, and what you do, I, I I think it is a complete thing. I I, I think that, and you're still doing it, yeah. and it, and it and it continues. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. So I, there's no, there's no way I'm saying to you, hey, what could have? I'm just not no, saying that. I mean, but you know what? I tell you what. I, I think I've just been I've been unlucky with a few things. You know, I can name. I did an HBO pilot with Steve Coogan and Justin Theroux, uh, mm. which was gonna, which was destined to be a huge thing. And for one reason or another, it just didn't happen. You know, mm. I did that thing now, you can laugh me out of town, cheap, cheap, cheap for Channel 4 with Noel Edmonds. Oh, no, you did. did. We no. did 31 hour episodes and it wasn't very good. But <laughs> if we'd right. done another series, it would have been, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, films yeah. I've done that have just sort of come and gone. Uh, I can name all tons of these things, you know. And um, I saw you on that cheap, 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 and I went, "Yes, someone's picked know, up on that and character." It, and it just died on its ass. It just—I mean, I've had so many. I can't, you know, I've, I've done endless pilots as Barry from Watford. You know, endless. Yeah. I mean, there was a time, probably five, six years ago, where I would say every couple of months, someone, a production company, a producer, would get on the phone and say, "Have you thought about doing a TV pilot?" And they must have seen <laughs> Barry from Watford on so many proposals. I mean, yeah. 30, 40 proposals over the years yeah. in on their desk, and they just don't like him. Um, and you-, you know, I just—it's just sometimes failed. To ignite for whatever you showed up on that Marcus Brigstock show, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Marcus the late Brigstock? edition. I used to do that. You were doing about Christmas and stuff, which I really love. <laughs> I love. Yeah. I love that. And that was live. But I mean, was it? Yeah, we did that live. Love that live. But you know, I. That, <laughs> It, mm. it, it's it's been quite galling in a way, some of that, which is why touring as Clinton and selling out around the country, I thought, this mm. is it. I'm going to sit in this for the next 10 years if I can, because people are turning up and it suddenly stopped dead, you know, with the... Well, I, I think, though, from my perspective, I would say that sounds like it, it's still on the cards. I, I bloody mean, hope so. I'm just worried yeah, about yeah, yeah. who's going to sit cheek by jowl in a... Um, theatre together and well well that's your that's, that's your position is, is to worry about that yeah. because because it's it, it all depends on that yeah. but i think and i would and i would worry about the same thing and i do worry about the same thing but it's it's it, um it i'm sure it will happen i mean so uh, laura marling is, is in rather genius way has just uh sold out union chapel where you buy a seat um but you don't go um ah. so you she's performing alone at the union chapel i don't know what two thousand seats right. and there are only two thousand tickets and it's created a demand 
for something that, that that you wouldn't get if you just went straight on and did it for free or you, so you went just from- explain to me so you you buy a ticket and it yep. and it goes through to your zoom on your computer or something Yes, uh, you, you, it's streamed to you, but the, you know, I think the exclusivity of it, the, 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 yeah, the, the sure. way, is that you know you're one of 2,000 and that's it. It's not going to be anywhere else. And it's created that demand because it's sold out. I think one or two nights it's sold out almost uh, instantly. I could do that. I just, the, I respond so much, well, I'm sure every performer does, to a live audience. And also I go and do my readings, my psychic readings. with. Oh, of course. Your- I mean, yes, in your case, uh, that, that, yeah, that would be an impossibility because it's so it's so personal, so, isn't it? It's so. But tell me, Neil, what what are your plans then for the future? What is what? Oh me, yeah. Um, I, I'm I'm releasing an album in November. As it happens, this has fallen in in to a period where I was just getting ready to start pushing yeah. a, a product, um, and it's not interfering as such. It's been too long since I toured. Playing live is my favourite thing in the whole yeah. world, and. Um, um, I've not done that in way too long. This record has taken way too long. This is, it's about, it's now four years since my last one, wow, but this, yeah. this is this, um, this album that came about from trying looking everywhere else, but actually the place where I should have looked, which is at the piano. So it's, uh-huh. it's piano bass and there's electronic stuff right, around it and right. bits and pieces. Right, but basically. yeah, for me, I'm still first and foremost, a, a live musician. Yeah. And I love that feeling that a, that a crowd give me. Oh, you know? it's, it's um, great. I love it. I love it. When, when it comes to, when it comes to um, Barry and mm. that amazing, uh, would you, is it a prosthetic head? Yes. Prosthetic face, which um, my friend Aaron Sherman came up with many years ago. I did an advert for dry blackthorn cider. Do you remember we were cone heads and we drank oh, yeah. out of the pint with our long fingers. Oh, and yes. um, so Aaron, who, who was, uh, you know, absolute pioneer of a lot of this prosthetic stuff mm. i asked him if he could design an old man's face for me uh, as mm. barry which i mean i put that bloody thing on i mean it's, it's different you know I, you don't use the same one you're supposed to use one prosthetic per performance but mm. it, it's so expensive i pick the glue off the back and i use it two or three times right um but i've been up and down the country with that and just recently with dan skinner he said to me look do you mind me asking why don't you take the prosthetic off yeah. it's so much more freeing without it just recently i mean if i ever do tv or what have you i will mm. put the prosthetic on but mm. quite often you know we're doing these zoom shows i don't wear the prosthetic right but, um it's it's nice in a way you know it's a bit of a cliche but you're actually hiding behind literally hiding behind a character and it's yes. and it's lovely to um have that sense of protection but i've found without being too pretentious about it over the years when you engage with an audience and you get up close, some people don't like it. It's like, oh God, I can take the artifice with a fourth wall. But once yeah. you get up close, it's like, I don't want to engage. And I found that a really, maybe it's just terrifying, but. Uh, because the thing looks terrifying. I mean, it does look terrifying yes. in a way, doesn't it? Well, I suppose so. And that's, it's based on the old people I once knew. So even the face looks like a proper old person, you know. But um, <laughs> it is nice not having it on. I mean, God, I've done yeah. gigs where I felt the bloody thing sliding off my face. Oh. And I just thought, oh God, I've got to get off the stage. It's going to fall on the floor any minute. Yeah. So, but, but it, it, I mean, you touched on it then. You, you don't feel a sort of a mass transformation or a, it, it, is it a hiding place? Do you, I do do you transform? feel transformed a little bit, yeah. But I mean, more than anything, it's just that it, you feel secure. You feel like, mm. you know, I really, one day when I've done Clinton, I've done Barry, 
I just want to do stand up as myself. It's the yeah. crack cocaine of performing. It's you, a microphone. It's like, did I laugh? Didn't I laugh? There's no, oh, I quite like the design in the second half. It's like <laughs> he told a joke. I didn't laugh or I did laugh yeah. and he wrote it, performed it. And what I'd really like to do without it being all about getting old and awakes and pains is, is material which absolutely fascinates me as a 52 year old man. Yeah. You know, really, absolutely, none of the artifice, just try and get to the, you know, where writing and performing meet in the performer, you know. So I suppose in, in, a, in just a sort of full circle, this chat, I suppose yeah. really you're, you're, you it's like me coming back to the piano. You'd yes. like to just come back to you, your voice and your, your general, your wit or your brain would, and your personality. I would really like to do that without the artifice. And I think I've been... Uh, it probably because of, as I say, the nerves and the raw terror. I've done everything mm. incrementally. You know, mm. I, developed, I, I I adapted a book when I first went on stage, so I had all that material behind me. Then I tried to do my own material with a prosthetic face. Mm. Then I've done it's Peter Kay's character, um, you know, Clinton Baptiste, that I played yeah. it, and I've hung on that and written that. The final thing is for me to do my material as me and just, you know, mm. I mean, is an element of playing a character. I don't think any stand-up comedian True. is entirely themselves, but, you know, just kind of bring that and make, make, it, make it as pure as possible. Mm. And that was helping. Well, Alex, look, I, I, um, I do, I'm, I'm, very hopeful, and and I I do I do very much hope that, oh, that Clinton man. Baptiste gets gets on the road because it's it's a, it's wonderful to watch your work. I, I think I think you're a you're a brilliant oh, innovator, mate. thank you, and an improviser. And um, I I I would love to come and see you. I really would. Um, Georgia has, has threatened to bring me along yeah. on more oh, than one occasion. Oh, please do. You'll love it. And we I'd yeah. love to meet up for a drink sometime, Neil. It'd be great. Oh, yeah, that'd be beautiful. Um, yeah, just to talk about Northwest London. Yes, so, brilliant. Um, so thanks, Alex. Thanks, thanks ever so, so much, much buddy thanks to alex lowe and thanks to you for listening please make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode 